pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you that um, in it we find uh, truth, in it we find joy. Um, and Lord, I pray that it would encourage our hearts this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you will know what this is and know what this represents. Some of you probably won't. Um, but this is, a, this is a flag that represents longing. It represents waiting. It represents looking forward to a certain kind of news. Uh, this is a flag that for uh, probably more than 100 years, um, maybe not very often, but more than 100 years, has flown outside of Wrigley Field. Uh, not this particular one. This one I just got from Amazon. I got myself a Christmas present. Don't tell Emmy. And what would happen, this is before television, maybe even before radio, uh, all of the people who worked down in the downtown area of, of the city of Chicago, they'd be traveling on the the train north home to the suburbs after a long day of work. And back then, and even still to this day, the Cubs play most of their games during the daytime. And uh, if the Cubs won, they would raise a flag with a W on it over the, the tracks so that people on their way home could know if we won or lost. And so it represents a kind of longing. It represents a kind of looking forward to getting some hopefully good news. Um, I started to fold it and then I give up. I don't know if you noticed that. but. Uh, it's okay, it's not a sacred flag. Um, and so it actually represents this kind of longing, this looking forward to a certain kind of news. And uh, the text we're looking at today that was just read to us has to do with a longing. It has to do with a waiting expectantly, a looking forward to something. And what is most striking about this passage is it centers on two to, well, I'm going to say very old people. I'm sorry if you're near this age. I don't know. I don't think anyone in the room is, but two very old people who have been waiting expectantly. They've been longing for something for a very, very long time. And yet their hope in the midst of all that longing, it's never diminished. And that's very important for us to, to know that they waited, they longed, they looked forward to for years and years and years, and yet their hope is never diminished. And that's important because you and I today, we don't seem to be able to wait for much uh, longer than a few hours, much less a few days for anything. Uh, you know, I, I don't have to wait very long for, at all really for a flag to fly outside of Wrigley Field to know if my team won. I can catch every pitch anywhere in the world on my phone in real time with no delay. You know, a swipe here, a tap there, and whatever's happening in the ballpark is streamed right into my hand and I can watch it all. And so in our day, to wait for anything, it almost feels like suffering, especially if you're waiting on God for something. And the argument usually goes something like this, you know, okay, if God is all powerful and he's all loving, then why doesn't he just act right now? Why doesn't he just do it now? You know, just, just there's this one thing I'm asking for, God, why don't you just do that one thing for me? But did you ever stop to think that, that maybe the waiting is the point. And what I mean by that is summed up in, in one word, and that's the word hope. But to be a person who has hope, it means that you actually, you actually have to wait for something. You know, think about it like this, okay? So let's say, let's say you took an exam, and you, you finished the exam, and now you hope you got an A. You know, that, that's, that's what you're hoping. You know, when is it that you're hoping? You're hoping uh, from the time you took the exam until you get the grade back from the instructor. And then once you got the grade back, you don't need to hope anymore. Well, maybe you do if you didn't get an A, but 
you know, your hope actually maybe then becomes, I hope I pass this class, I hope I make it through. You know, or, you know, I hope I meet someone on this dating app who I can marry, and then once you meet the person, then you don't have to hope anymore. Or I hope I get that job offer. And once you get the offer, then you don't have to hope anymore. So your hope is the time in between. It's the time in between. Now, of course, you know, once a particular hope is fulfilled, there, there are new hopes that come rushing in. But again, that waiting, that in-between time, that's the point. And what that points out is that actually we're a people who are always hoping. You know, one thing gets fulfilled and you start hoping for the next thing. And so the question becomes, how do we live in that waiting time? How do we actually begin to be, become people who hope well? How do we hope in a way that actually enhances our lives rather than makes us a bundle of stress and anxiety and fear? And what we find in this passage is actually a model for hope. A way to hope that doesn't crush us, but instead it actually builds up our character. It makes us a person who worships, who has faith, who knows how to trust. Because the difference between Christian hope and, and any other hope, you know, the hope that I, I hope I pass the exam, the, the difference there, Christian hope, is that it's, it's sure, it's certain. We know that if God said it's going to happen, it will. And each week of this Advent season, we've been asking two primary questions. The first one being, what child is this? Uh, from the old, you know, the famous old uh, Christmas song, what child is this? Uh, and we've seen so far that this child is man. We've seen that he's God. We've seen that he's king. And so each week we've been asking, what child is this? And then the second question we've asked each week is then, so what? If he's man, if he's God, if he's king, what does that mean for my life today? And what we see right off the bat in this passage, though it's not quite obvious, uh, the answer to the question, what child is this, is that this child is Savior. And therefore it's a Savior that our two main characters in the passage have been longing for, looking for, hoping for. And so we're going to look at this under three headings. First, who the hope is. Second, what the hope does. And then thirdly, how to hope. And so first, who the hope is. And if you look again at verse 21, if you still have that open, uh, there it is right there in verse 21. Because in verse 21, Jesus officially gets his name. Look at it again, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. That's his name. Now, sometimes a name is just a name, okay? So my name is Ken. That's just my name. There's, you know, nothing super special about that. But other times, names convey something more than a person's name. You know, when you hear that name, you think of something bigger, something more important, or, or it, it gives you this other idea, this other thought. Now, again, this is not necessarily true for my name in that it's not, you won't think anything great of it, but uh, some of you know, Emmy spent part of her life growing up in Greece, and we've been there to visit a few times, and there's a Greek word uh, that sounds just like the name Ken. Literally, it, it sounds like Ken. That, that's the word. And the word means something like uh, conceited, vain, empty. Uh, so, so to use that word to describe a person, I think the best way to convey it would be something like airhead. You know, that guy's an airhead. So really, when I go and visit there and I introduce myself to, to new people, it's like I walk around saying, hello, my name is Airhead, nice to meet you. And then it's all confirmed as they talk to me. Now, on the one hand, at the time of Jesus, uh, at the time of his birth, the name Jesus is just a name. 
In fact, it's probably a very common name, like, you know, Eric or Jenny were very common when I was growing up. You know the most popular names in 2022, by the way? We now know this. Olive and Liam. Yeah, somebody laughed at Olive, so if you're, don't go Olive. Um, I mean, that'd be so 2022 anyway, so. Uh, now, on the one hand, the name Jesus was just a name, a fairly common name. But on the other hand, the name Jesus is more than just a name. Because the name has a specific meaning. And actually, the name, uh, Moses came up with the name. How cool is that? Wouldn't it be great if Moses came up with your name? Uh, Moses came up with the name. In, in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, there was a day when Moses, uh, he, had, he had led the people of Israel to the border of the promised land, and he sends in 12 spies and to go and check out the land and figure out, you know, can we do it? Can we take the land? Can we move in there? And uh, all 12 spies come back, and 10 of the spies come back and say, no way. There's no way we can go. There's giants living there. We could never take the land. Let's just move on. But two spies came back and said, hey, with God's help, we think we can do it. And one of the two was a young man named Hosea, which literally is the word salvation. Uh, but because of his faith in God, Moses actually, he slightly changed the name. It, it says in, in Numbers chapter 13 that Moses renamed him, gave him a new name. And uh, he changed his name and called him Yehoshua, which we now know as the name Joshua. And what Moses did there is he actually fused two words together to make this, this new name. So he took the first two letters of the sacred name of God, Yahweh, and then he added them to Hosea. So it became Yehoshea, literally, literally it means this, God is salvation, or God saves and this is the name told to Joseph to give to the son born to Mary, Yehoshua, Joshua. Now, the name Jesus is simply the Greek form of the name Joshua. So that's his name. God saves. But remember, Mary and Joseph, they didn't come up with the name. It wasn't, you know, they didn't have the baby book that had the list of, you know, year zero most popular names. It says here that an angel told Mary and Joseph what the name should be. And do you remember why? Uh, if you want to, you can flip to Matthew chapter 1, and we'll put it on the screen here. Uh, this is the angel talking to Joseph about Mary being pregnant. And here's what the angel said. Matthew 1, 21, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yehoshua. God saves. God is salvation. Because... He will save his people from their sins. And even in there, you begin to see his deity come through. You're giving him the name God saves because he, God, will save his people from their sins. And so God saves, that's the meaning of his name. And that's the meaning of his name because it's the meaning of his whole coming. It's the whole reason why he came. Because think about this, what is salvation? What does it mean to save people from their sins? Well, it means this, that each and every one of us is far more flawed than we would ever dare to admit. That there are sins in our past that if we could, we would love to have them expunged from the record. Things that you hope nobody ever finds out about. And not only that, but there are things in the present, things today that's, that entangle us. There are sins, there are actions, there are thoughts, there are burdens that we want to be set free from. And the salvation that Jesus brings is this, that yes, we are far more broken, sinful than we'd ever want to admit. And yet God loves us anyway. 
He loves us in spite of it. He loves us to the point of Christmas and Easter. That God would come down at Christmas in the flesh. And that he would die on Good Friday in order to remove our past sins and free us from our present and future entanglements with sin. And, And the proof of that on Easter Sunday that he would rise from the dead. This is who the hope is. When his name is God is salvation, this is the salvation that he's talking about. The hope is that Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Mary, would save his people from their sins. And so that's the answer to the first question we've been asking each week. What child is this? Well, this child is Savior. And the rest of what we're going to look at this morning, then, is the so what. And there are two people in this passage who recognize Jesus as Savior. And I want to spend the rest of our time looking at the two of them. Because by looking at them, we can actually see what it is that hope does. And then we actually get a pattern for how to hope. What does it look like to actually hope? Um, and so let's, let's look at this. Because, you know, in their, the lives of these two people, their hope is fulfilled, but they're not consumed with anxiety. They're not walking around afraid. They're not walking around worried. They are steady and they are filled with hope. And so do you want to be steady? Do you want to have hope that doesn't lead to fear, that doesn't lead to stress? Well, let's look at the the first uh, of the so what answers and let's see what the hope does. So what does this hope do? In other words, what does this salvation accomplish? We'll look again at the story. In verse 25, we meet an old man named Simeon. And then down in verse 36, we meet an old woman named Anna. And look at how they're described. Simeon, verse 25, he's called righteous and devout. And then actually says in there three times that the Holy Spirit was on him or leading him or talking to him. And to say that the Holy Spirit was was on someone, was with someone, leading someone, at this point in history, that's actually quite a big deal. That should leap off the page to us. Because this is before the birth of the church. This is before God gave the Holy Spirit to every single believer. And so Simeon is distinct in this. He's actually quite unique. And then there's Anna, down in verse 36. She's called a prophet. And we're told that she's very old, 84 years old. Uh, It also says that she was only with her husband for seven years before he died. And so at this point, we're led to believe that she's been a widow for decades, maybe 60 years or more. But look at what it says about her. Uh, Luke 2, verse 37 She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And so these two people, at the very center of the story, they're older, and they're godly, and they're faithful. But here's what leaps off the page when you look at these two people together, that both of them are filled with hope. Notice what it says about Simeon, verse 25. It says, he was waiting waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that word waiting, it's the word, and I, look, I don't normally give you the Greek word unless it sounds like an English word that you understand, uh, so you can relate to it, but it's important that you see it in our passage today. Uh, and so the word is prosdekomai. You don't need to write that down or remember it, just prosdekomai is the word. And that word literally means to wait expectantly. It means to long for. It means to hope. Now, uh, just a few months ago, we we finished renovating the building here, and uh, as we did that, I started working from here a lot more often. So prior to that, I would just work from my home office, and 
pretty much all day long, uh, my dog would be laying either at my feet or on the chair behind me and was just there constantly. He's just used to me being around and him being around me all day long. But, you know, we finished the renovations here, and it's a really nice place to come and work. And so I'd been coming over here and spending a lot of my days here um, pretty much all day. And uh, this is what happened. Uh, maybe a few, few weeks into this, I got a text from Emmy, and the text had this photo in it. And this is my dog sitting on my front step. And the, what Emmy said was, he's been doing this every single day this week at the same time waiting for you to come home. Yes, those of you that are dog people, your hearts are warmed. Those of you that are not are like, shut up. You told us only do two dog stories a year. Well, I don't know what to tell you. That's prostecomai. That's a picture of it. Waiting, yeah, waiting expectantly, longingly. And so Simeon is prostekomai. He is waiting expectantly for the consolation of Israel. And we'll come back to that word in a minute. But look now at Anna in verse 38. It says that she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, again, those words looking forward, it's the same word as the one in verse 25. It's prostekomai. And so Anna is also prostekomai. She is also waiting expectantly, longing for, in other words, hoping for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so both are hoping, both are longing. And by the way, well, actually not by the way, this is very important. The implication in the text is that both of them have been hoping, have been longing for a very, very, very long time. For Anna, maybe more than 60 years since her husband died. And so what we're talking about here is a hope that is not hope today fulfilled tomorrow, but is a hope today, hope tomorrow, hope every single day for years, decades even, and then fulfilled just before death. And this is instructive to us. I hope it's instructive to you because we live today in an instant society. That if my hope isn't fulfilled today or tomorrow or this year, then I'll move on and I'll place my hope in something or someone else. But the waiting, the hoping, we'll see in just a minute, is actually the making of these two people. It's the waiting that makes them who they are as godly, faithful people. And the fact that we can't wait, that we won't wait, that we don't want to wait or don't wait well, is perhaps the very thing that is keeping us from godliness. Or let's put it in these terms. We've been saying all December that the best thing that can happen to each of us is that Jesus would disrupt our Christmas this year. And maybe he's doing that. Graciously, tenderly, frustrating, disrupting your holiday season in some way. Something's gone wrong. A relationship is broken. If you're not satisfied, if you're frustrated, if you're lacking hope, if your longings, your desires can't be satisfied, could it be that Jesus is lovingly but sternly showing you that your hope is in the wrong place? that you've placed your hope 
somewhere other than in Christ. C.S. Lewis in his book about pain, he says, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And maybe, maybe he's trying to rouse your deaf ears. Now look specifically at what Simeon and Anna hope for. Simeon, it says, is waiting expectantly for the consolation of Israel. And down in verse 30, he actually calls that consolation, he calls it God's salvation. Now, what is consolation? A consolation is healing and restoration from past losses, past wounds. It's healing from miseries, things that have already happened. And so what Simeon is hoping for is for God to come and to heal and to revive and to renew all that has been thrown away, all that has been lost, all that has been broken in the past. And so this is what God's salvation does. It heals your broken past. That's the consolation. Consolation is comfort today from the brokenness. But also look at what Anna longs for. What is it that she is hoping in verse 38? All who are looking forward, prostekomai, longing for, hoping for. All who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now redemption, what is redemption? Redemption is deliverance in the present and in the future. And what Anna is talking about is actually the need for deliverance from the powers that still, that today, are holding you in bondage. And so what Anna is actually hoping for is for God to come and to save us from the enemies, from the struggles, from the sins that entangle us today. And this is precisely what salvation does. This is what the Savior does. He saves us from our past sins and the sins of others that have hurt us. That's the consolation. And then he delivers us from whatever it is that entangles us today so that we can be free going forward. That this is what it means that Jesus Christ is Savior. That he is our consolation and our redemption. And so here, here's the ultimate of the so what. If you put your hope in him to do that for you, it changes everything about how you live today. In other words, it shows you how to hope. It shows you how to live in the in-between, in the middle. Because what hope does, this is point three, how to hope. What hope does is hope puts your focus on what is promised tomorrow. But that causes you to act then in a certain way today. Because look at how hoping caused Simeon to act. Remember that it said he was righteous and devout? In other words, placing his hope in God's salvation to come, the one that was, he was looking forward to, longing for, for decades, caused him then to live today righteously. Notice this, look at this, verse 26. It had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. In other words, the Lord's Savior. Now, we don't know exactly when it was re revealed to him, but the implication is that Simeon was waiting, hoping for the Lord's Savior for a long time. But then look at how he's described as we meet him at the end of his life. It says that he is righteous and devout. Now, make the connection with me. Simeon's hope, his expectant waiting, his longing caused him to today grow in righteousness. 
First Peter chapter one talks about this. Look at this. First Peter chapter one. It'll be on the screen. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And so what is Peter saying? He's saying the same thing. He's saying to use your mind to set your hope on the future coming of Jesus. And so place your hope in Jesus Christ coming again. Set your mind there. Let that be what you think about, what you dwell on. And then what is the result? Verse 14, as obedient children. That's righteousness. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now what is he talking about? Obedience. Holiness, overcoming evil desires. In other words, what he's saying is, set your hope in Jesus Christ. Fix your mind there, and the result will be you grow in obedience and holiness. This is what hope does. Hope in what is to come in the future changes who we are today. Okay, so what about Anna? What did hope do in her? Look at what it says. For decades, she never left the temple And then look at what it says she did every day for decades. It's three things. Verse 37, worshiping, fasting, praying. And it's in these three things that I think we learn how to hope well. Because remember we said at the beginning, if God is all powerful, if he's all loving, why doesn't he just act right now? Why doesn't he just do it? You know, there's the, God, there's this this thing I really want you to do. Why don't you just do it for me? Well, two things. First, if that's our attitude, then think about it. Who's God in that situation? Who's in charge? Who's really in control? Does God do your will or do you do his? That's first. But second, the waiting, the waiting is God doing something. That's the point. That is when God is doing something. The waiting is turning you into a person of character and a person of hope. The waiting is training you in your godliness as you set your hope in God. And Anna shows us the three things that are essential to us becoming a person of hope. Worship, fasting, and prayer. Now, I'm going to get super practical with you, um, and then we'll be done. Uh, I I want to ask you uh, to do those three things with me between now and Christmas Eve. And uh, here's how I'm asking you to do it. Starting tomorrow morning and ending on Christmas Eve, right before service, I'm inviting you to fast along with me. Um, Fasting, by the way, in the Bible, it's typically uh, giving up a meal or meals for a period of time. And there's two primary reasons for fasting in the Bible. There's more than those two, but there's two primary ones. And one uh, is to use the time of of fasting to ask God for something specific. Uh, And that's a Valid way to fast. You see it in the book of Acts. People fast to get some of the apostles out of prison. Uh, But the other way to do it is simply as a way of training our hearts and our minds to long for Christ more than we long for the things in this world that satisfy us. For example, food. Uh, That the hunger that we feel when skipping a meal would be an example, a lived physical material example of how we should feel for Christ, 
our hoping for him, our longing for him, this expectant waiting, that it would actually show us what it is like to have a hope for Christ to be central in our lives. And so that's what I'm inviting you to do, that second one. To use the next six days to stir up in you a longing, a hope for Christ. And here's how we'll do it. For whoever wants to do this along with me, um, I will send you uh, a text message every morning encouraging you to do all three things that Anna did. Uh, And so first, the text will just serve as a reminder to fast that day. Uh, Secondly, I'll give you something to help you worship. And thirdly, something to help you pray. Uh, And so if you want to be part of this, if that's something that you want to do along uh, with me um, on the contact card, uh, do me this favor. Write your name and your phone number, and then just write the word fast in the comments. Um, Even if you think I know your phone number, even if I texted you like this morning, write your phone number down just in case. Um, So that way I make sure I've got everyone's phone number. So if you want to do this with me, um, then name, phone number, and then write the word fast in the comment section. Um, So for the fasting part, I'll send you a much more thorough explanation tomorrow morning, but here's what I'm asking us to do. Uh, I'm asking us to fast from breakfast and lunch, and then have your dinner like normal. And there's a reason for that, by the way, not just so that, you know, you don't pass out at the end of the day. But the idea is that our longing for food throughout the day will prompt you then to ask God to cause you to long for Christ more than you're longing for food. And then the satisfaction that you get from eating the meal at dinner time is meant to be a lived, physical, material example of Christ fulfilling that longing. So longing, fulfillment. And that's a picture of what it is to hope. Um, And so we'll skip breakfast and lunch each day, and I'll give us something to help us worship and something to help us pray. Um, So again, if you want to do that, just fill in the contact form, and we'll pick that up a little bit later in the service. Now, if you've never done this before, and maybe you're thinking, oh, six days, that's a lot, um, you know, then I would encourage you, try it for two or three days. Try it every other day. you know, but it also, if maybe you have like an important lunch meeting scheduled or, you know, work Christmas party or something like that, then go ahead, have the lunch, you know, go ahead and do that. But then just the next day, get back to fasting. And the point is not so much that we follow this perfectly to a T, uh, but that our hunger each day and our satisfaction at dinner would create in us a deeper hunger and longing for Christ. Um, and here's the thing. I know, I know what week it is. I know what week I'm asking us to do this. Uh, That fasting the week of Christmas will be um, probably a huge disruption to your normal Christmas traditions. But isn't that the point? Isn't that what we've been asking God to do to disrupt our Christmas this year? And so it might just be the disruption that you need. Um, So again, fill in the card. We'll pick it up later if you want to do that along with us. And my hope is that we'll all learn a little bit better what it is to be a person of hope. Um, Because hope has to do with how I live today. What I do, how I act, the attitude of my heart today, in light of what is promised tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example in this passage of Simeon and Anna. Father, thank you so much that um, we can learn from them what it is to hope well. And we can learn from them what uh, the true satisfaction of our longings is, and that is to know Christ. Father, I pray that as you disrupt our week, 
this week through fasting, uh, that we would learn that uh, more deeply. And Lord, that we would uh, have a deeper longing for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.